You've got to do one more thing before you sit down. Amen and amen. That works too. Amen. Amen. Now we're doing the smile check. Are those with your masks on? I can't. There we go. There we go. Thank you, Nan. Yep, yep. Got to see those smiles. All right, you may be seated. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, this morning, we thank you for being a great and awesome God. We thank you for being gracious and merciful to us. We want to remember Dick Oberg this morning, Father, and ask that you just continue to touch his body and heal him. Help him to get rid of all the the scratchy throat and the cough and and, uh, just give him his energy back, we pray, Father, for that he'd just be feeling better. We pray for the Baptist Children's Home in Myanmar. And Father, this morning specifically, we pray for grace and the safety of the, the children in her care. Father, we pray that you'd watch over and keep them safe. In your ministry on earth, you always had a special place for the children. Pray that you take care of the kids in Myanmar today, Father. And as we open your word, Father, we, we would make it our prayer that you would change our hearts. Why else are we here? If we don't allow you to work in our lives, if we don't want you to change our hearts, Father, then we're just hypocrites. Help us to yield to you, Father. Open our hearts and our eyes, open our our prayer line with you as as we look at some important prayers in the history of the nation of Israel, Father. Help us to to be in tune with you. Help us to be in better communication with you. Help us to lean on your word and to lean on you. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 66, this is a verse that I've shared several times with you since our Good Friday service and on Easter, and I didn't know then how fitting it was going to be or how appropriate it was going to be as we continued on through Nehemiah, but the Lord has just really been driving it home to me. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. When then is a house, you, where then is a house that you could build for me and where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. He's talking about creation. He made the world. He made it all. We're going we're to come back to that, but I just want you to see that and be aware. For my hand made all of these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one thing I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. 
When Don was reading Psalm 47 this morning, verse 2 says, For the Lord Most High is to be feared. Hang on to that thought, okay? We're going we're gonna to revisit it several times. We're going to look at Daniel 9, then we're going to look at Ezra 9, and then we'll just begin to peel back a little bit of Nehemiah chapter 9. Turn with me to Daniel 9, if you would. These are three of the nation of Israel's long recorded prayers. Daniel is the one praying in Daniel. Ezra prays in the book of Ezra. But the Levites pray in Nehemiah chapter 9. They're praying on behalf of the nation. But Daniel and Ezra are also praying on behalf of the nation. And if, if you've been following with us through Nehemiah you'll see a lot of similarities in the prayer of Daniel and the prayer of Ezra. In the, in the way that, in, in their contemporaries, they're all right around the same time frame. We know that Ezra and Nehemiah worked together. Um, Daniel may have just been shortly after their time. Um, they probably didn't know each other on a personal basis because Daniel was still back in Babylon. Uh, but Ezra and Nehemiah had come back to Jerusalem out of, the, out of captivity. But it's all, they're, they're all right in the same time frame. And they all understand that when we obey God, He blesses us. And when we don't obey God, He carries out His judgment on us. We cannot expect His blessings if we're not obeying. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. We see that in Nehemiah. We've seen it several times. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O God, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. We know that same phrase Nehemiah used in chapter 1, referring to God as awesome God. And he is one who keeps his covenant. The, the people of Israel knew that. If they obeyed him, he would bless them. If not, he allowed them to be carried off by the, by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. So he, he's going to keep his word. And, and that can be very comforting, but that can be very also very scary. Comforting in the fact that we know that he fights our battles for us if we let him. Very comforting in the fact that He will never leave us or forsake us. He's always with us. But come to those disobedient times in our lives and it can be very scary. As as the nation of Israel found out over and over again, we've talked about that cycle of the blessing of God when they're obedient and then the disobedience, the judgment of God, uh, then feeling guilty and going to confession and, and, and crying out to God, God, we need you. And then, back into God's graces and under his blessing because they're being obedient. And then the cycle all over. Do you ever, do you ever notice that in your life? We, we probably don't ever follow that cycle, do we? Absolutely we do. It's exactly what we do. We follow that same cycle because there comes that time when we 
take God off the throne and set him down on the side and put ourselves up on the throne. We say, God, we know better than you. We got this. That's when you better duck and run for cover. Of course, you can't hide from God, so you know it's not going to do you any good, but you might feel like you want to. Just like Adam and Eve, they couldn't hide. <laughs> they couldn't hide in the garden. Silly as, as they, we think of it as, as they tried. We, we try to hide too. Verse 4, Daniel 9. Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity. And and just like Nehemiah, Daniel includes himself. He doesn't, with the the pronouns, he he says we. He, He doesn't say those people or the, you know, your people, Lord. He says we, he includes himself. We have sinned, we have committed iniquity and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to to our kings and princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, probably referring to those still in captivity, and in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, For we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your laws and turned aside, not obeying your voice, so that the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God. For we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like that that was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. We've earned it. We're only getting what we deserve. And the calamity that comes on, we, we've talked about how God sets up and takes down kings. Proverbs 21.1, how the heart is like a channel of water and it goes wherever God wants it to go. That our leaders, excuse me, that are over us today in our country are there because God wants them there. Sometimes that might be hard to swallow. But they're there because he wants them there to carry out his plan and his will and even his calamity on us. 
As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done. But we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for yourself as it is in this day, we have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplication before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. I'm sure most of you are very familiar with Second Chronicles 7.14. He says, if my people will humble themselves. I don't see too many of us today humbling ourselves. Isaiah 66 again. God says, to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit. And who trembles at my word. We're not going to take the time to to read again Psalm 32, 33, and 34. But if you recall Good Friday and Easter, and since then we've talked about those chapters again and again, that as God forgives us, He removes the guilt. We don't need to continue to feel guilty about the sins we've committed once we confess them to Him. And especially uh, the first six verses of Psalm 32 talk about the joy and the benefits of forgiveness. When you get down to chapter 34, it also talks about having the fear of God in our hearts. Because without that fear of God, we're not going to humble ourselves. We're not going to confess our sins. And therefore, we're going to continue to live under guilt and and not have the blessings of a a guilt-free conscience. God will remove that guilt if we will humble ourselves and confess to Him. And and you you see in, in Daniel's impassioned plea, Nevermore do you, do, does Daniel show his heart. First six books of Daniel are, are more about Daniel, and the last six are, are more about the prophecy that he received. And yet in the middle of that prophecy, he bears the soul 
And in Daniel 9, that prayer in Daniel 9 is there. To show how he understands that as a nation they had disobeyed and not followed his precepts and not obeyed. Turn to Ezra chapter 9. If your Bible kind of finds op- falls open to Nehemiah, it's just a couple pages back. Here again, the, the people had not separated themselves from the world. One of, the, one of the biggest problems they continued to run into is, is the intermarriage of, of having taking wives for themselves and getting wives for their sons from idol-worshiping people that lived near in and about them. And time after time, that was their downfall because they would take their eyes off the one true God and they would worship other idols of their wives to keep them happy. It was one of the biggest sins that they had to deal with continually as a nation. Again, Ezra is addressing this problem here and we'll start in verse 4. If you want, keep a finger in Isaiah 66 because you can keep flipping back to use that as a base reference. But in this very first verse here, well, I'm sorry, the first verse we're going to read, but verse 4 of Ezra 9. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God. How many of us tremble at the word of God? As we get into Nehemiah, we're going to see how how the conviction that they came unto when, when the Word of God was read, when the law was read, I believe they trembled because they saw how their lives and their actions didn't match up with the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit convicted them. They were distraught. They were in tears. They trembled. Ezra says, Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel on account of their unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me, and I sat appalled until the evening offering. (laughs) I was watching a TV show this week and I was appalled. I'm a, my, my wife will tell you this, I have a really strong thumb because I, I work it on the remote and, and I flip channels. I, I rarely watch a show start to finish, but I, I'm a good flicker or whatever you want to call it. In this one show, a, a man comes into a business and that's failing and tries to help him recover and do the right things. And they'll videotape the employees for a couple days before they come in. 
And a video clearly showed a young lady that this establishment sold sweatshirts and hoodies of, with their logo on it. And the video clearly shows this young lady taking a hoodie, brand new, nice looking, heavy duty hoodie, puts it on, wears it for a shift, walks out the door. So reckoning day comes and the boss and his girlfriend are going to fire this employee. And she repeatedly insists, I have never stolen anything from you. I've never stolen. And and the boss's girlfriend says, we've got you on video. You took the hoodie and you left with it. Well, that's not stealing. I was appalled. I was appalled. Fifty years ago in our country, even non-Christians had a sense of right and wrong. That's gone, folks. It's gone. Even those that didn't go to church or even call themselves Christians knew that it was wrong to steal. Knew that it was wrong to kill somebody. You can't assume that anymore. This young lady honestly thought that she wasn't stealing when it was so blatantly obvious to anybody with half a clue of the definition of stealing or theft. I was appalled. I was like, oh my goodness. I guess I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be surprised with where we're at in our nation. Ezra said, I sat appalled until the evening offering. Verse 5, But at the evening offering I arose from my humiliation. Even with my garment and my robe torn, I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. One thing we notice in the prayers of Daniel and Ezra and we've seen in Nehemiah, the Word of God should affect our lives. It is truth. It is the truth. It should change who we are. It's a matter of whether or not we leave Him on the throne and keep ourselves off the throne. If we're willing to submit to Him and come under His guidance and direction. I said it time and time and time again, folks. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is all about God. That is why we are here. We are here for His purpose. We are here to serve and honor and worship Him. It is not about me. One thing we see very obvious and clearly in Daniel's prayer, and Ezra's prayer, and the Levite's prayer, and Nehemiah. They understood that. They got it. We often think of how long it took the disciples to get a clue and catch on to some things that Jesus had just kept telling and telling them and telling them. How thick are we? But we know Daniel got it. We know Ezra got it. They understood that it was about God. The life of the nation, their lives, was about their relationship with God and whether they were obeying Him or not. 
as we continue in verse 6. I said, oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads. We joke about putting our boots on sometimes because it's getting kind of deep in here. This was up over their heads, folks. The sin and the unrighteousness. It wasn't down here at this level. It wasn't even chest weight or high. It was above their heads. I think we could probably decide and agree that in our country today, we're in over our heads. When a young girl can take a, a, a hoodie like that and say, I didn't steal anything. And then when, when, when shown with the evidence that she walked out with it, well, that's not stealing. No sense. No comprehension of God's law in the very basics. The very basics. When I take something that doesn't belong to me, that's stealing How hard is that to get? Our guilt has grown even to the heavens since the days of our fathers to this day we have been in great guilt and on account of our iniquity we are kings, our priests sounds a little bit like Daniel's prayer, doesn't it? Our kings, our priests have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword of captivity and to plunder and to open shame, even as it is to this day. But now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant, to give us a pagan, his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little receiving in our bondage. We've talked the last couple of weeks in Nehemiah about saying amen and amen and raising hands. We talk about how it's not baptistical, but it's very biblical. Okay? When we pray that God would open our eyes, we're in good company. Because that's exactly what Ezra is praying for here. Open our eyes, enlighten our eyes, and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are slaves, yet in our bondage our God has not forsaken us. There's that theme again. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. If you remember back to Deuteronomy 3, basically let God fight your fights. He wants to, if we'll just let Him. And here's the best part. He hasn't lost one yet. Who better could you have on your side? Who better could you have fighting your fights? But a holy God. Our God has not forsaken us, but has extended loving kindness to us in the sight of the king of Persia to give us reviving, to raise up the house of our God, to restore its ruins, and to give us a wall in Jerusalem in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land which you are entering 
to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands. Okay, making reference to that intermarriage thing again. Just as as they were not to intermarry with with women of the other nations around them because of the idols they served. So today, young men and young Christian women are not to intermarry with those that do not know Christ. What fellowship has darkness with light? It's like water and oil. They don't mix. One drives the other out. He's addressing this back then. About the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands with their abominations which have filled it from one end to the other with their impurity. So now do not give your daughters to their sons nor take their daughters to your sons and never seek their peace or their prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good thing of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. And after all this has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, since you, our God, has requited us less than our iniquity deserves, and you have given us an escaped remnant as this, shall we again break your commandments and intermarry with the people who commit these abominations? Would you not be angry with us to the point of destruction until there is no remnant or any who escape? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have been left as an escaped remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for no one can stand before you because of this. going to read the first couple verses of chapter 10. Now while Ezra was praying and making confession, weeping and prostrating himself before the house of God, a very large assembly, men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel for the people wept bitterly. It just wasn't Ezra seeing this as a problem. Up down to verse 3. So now Let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Ezra chapter 9 verse 4, everyone who trembles at the word, words of the God of Israel. And then again in chapter 10 verse 3, those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Now turn with me. That's the introduction. Now turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. I knew that was going to be long, so I I don't have us going that deep into Nehemiah 9, so don't panic. The roast won't burn in the oven. Just to find our place again, we're going to look back just for a few moments at chapter 8. All the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law.
This was the first end of verse 2. This was the first day of the seventh month. If we remember the seventh month in Israel, it goes from the last part of our July calendar into August. And the seventh month for the Jew is a, a time of great celebration. It was a time of remembrance. It was a time to praise God for what He had done for them as a nation. On the first day, they celebrated the Feast of the Trumpets. And this is the day that we're talking about here where Ezra first brought out the Word of God because the people asked him to. We know on the tenth day was the Day of Atonement. Another feast that they celebrated. Remembering their departure from Egypt with the Passover lamb over their doors. And then from the 15th to the 22nd, 22, yeah, that's eight days. 22nd, we celebrate the Feast of the Booths. So we've got a lot, of, a lot of celebrating going on here. A lot of remembering. And so when, he starts, when Ezra starts reading from the Word on the first day of the seventh month, we talked about this before briefly. I'll just mention again verse 2 and verse 3 talking about he was going to do it for the understanding of the people. In verse uh, 4 and verse 7, we have a list of people, uh, some of the Levites, who were helping Nehemiah to read. Well, they had Ezra read here, but at the, at the direction of Nehemiah, because he's the governor, they're doing it for understanding. Those that could understand, the men remember they came from Babylon, not all of them understood Arab, or understood Hebrew. They would have understood Arabic because a lot of them were born in captivity. And that's what they would have learned in Babylon. So we need some translators here. And, and the, the fellows in verse 7 were down among the people. And in verse 7 it says, they explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. Verse 8, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. They understood the reading of the law. They hadn't heard it since they'd been back. Possibly some under Ezra's teaching. But the wall's done now under Nehemiah's direction. And we come to the verse 9 of chapter 8. I'm going to read down through 12 quickly. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing. He's saying, Go ahead and celebrate our feasts. Of the month, the, the the feast of the trumpets, the feast of the uh, the the atonement, and then the the feast of the tabernacles or, or the booths. He says, "Go ahead and do those celebrations. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, "Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved." And all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions, to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. They were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They heard the word of the Lord. And they wept. They were sorry for their sins. 
But wait a minute. We have a time right now that we need to celebrate. Don't mourn on this day. All the leaders are telling them, hold off on that. Now, when, when do you ever hear a preacher say that? Don't repent today. Don't, don't get right with the Lord today. But this day was about the Lord. It wasn't about them. This celebration was about God. Now we're in chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day. Okay, so the Feast of Booths is over on the 22nd. I think probably on the 23rd they went home and did laundry and maybe they took the booths down. But they come back on the 24th day and that's where we pick up in verse 9. Chapter 9, excuse me, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. They didn't forget what they'd been hearing and the reading that continued to go on during the Feast of the Booths. The law of God was still at the forefront of their mind, as was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, And the descendants of Israel separated themselves from the foreigners. Remember, that's what the walls of Jerusalem were to do. When they, that was one of the reasons they needed to rebuild, was to keep the foreigners out, was to keep those that were not Jews, those that didn't have a right to be in the city, was to keep them out. And it also gave them a protected place where they could implement the law of God without outside interference. But after this has gone on, the, the, the feasting and that, come back on the 24th day, and they again separate themselves from the foreigners. There were the, the foreigners that came in and would do business. There were those that would, um, there were servants and slaves, okay? But this day, they separate them. They, they, this isn't your business. This is our business as holy, as the holy nation of Israel as God's chosen people. Verse 3, while they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Okay, start next Sunday, we're going to have six-hour services, okay? (laughs) They read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth. Their, Their day was 12 hours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So a fourth of that was three hours. Three hours just to the reading of the Scriptures. And then another three for confessing and worshiping the Lord their God. I bet some singing went on in part of that worship. I don't know. Just just guessing. When I was in college back in the 80s, we lived in Denver at the time. I was going to Denver Baptist Colorado Baptist University, and in our English lit class or our creative writing, whatever it was, we had to we had to go experience a cross cultural religious experience and then write about it for a paper. I went to a Jewish Christian church that met on Saturday, and their service was five hours long. They 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 understood this scripture, <laughs> but there was a lot of singing in there too, a lot of celebrating and worshiping God. And knowing who he was, who he is. Just real quickly, um, an outline of of chapter 9. I'll just throw it out to you if you want to write it down. Verses 1 through 6, God's greatness. 
This is chapter 9 of Nehemiah. 1 through 6, God's greatness. 7 through 30, God's goodness. And 31 through 38, God's grace. And if we went through all of chapter 9, we could probably make it five hours today. theme of chapter 9 is Jehovah God, who He is, what He's done for His people, and what He expects from His people. Talk about the majesty of God and the depravity of man. The depravity of, of you and me. So on the Levites, verse 4 of chapter 9, on the Levites' platform, Jeshua Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Buni, Sherbiah, Bani, and Shanana. Sorry. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. The Levites, oh, another list of names Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherbiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethiah said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. O may thy thy glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. Now we're getting to the good stuff. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in it, You gave life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before thee. I was going to try to make it through verse 7 and 8, but we're going to stop there. He alone is God. He is the creator of the universe, and we look at the vastness. I don't know if you remember the the DVD. I don't know, it's probably been close to a year ago, maybe at least a year ago. That Lou Giglio presented talking about the galaxies that God has created and how we have yet to see the end of them and how vast they are. How if you covered the golf, the, the state of Texas with golf balls, I don't remember what it was, like two and a half feet or three feet high. The whole state of Texas, one of those little golf balls is Earth. And how on that one little golf ball sit a whole bunch of you and me's. Now God created that vastness as only He can do, for He is God. And yet He cares about you so much that He knows how many hairs are on your head. Can you believe that? He, he, he names the stars and he knows every one of their names and he doesn't have a spreadsheet to do it. And yet he cares about you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Now there's another Lou Giglio video that we're going to watch at some time in the future. And it goes the other direction. As vast as vast as the universe is, 
and I can't think of what it is, what the name of it is right now, but there is something in our bodies that fits this verse. Ephesians, turn with me to Ephesians 4.16. I'm going to start in verse 15. Ephesians 4.15 But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fit and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God created the universe and the galaxies. Oh boy, I've actually forgotten. What is it? It's like 52,000 light years? 52,000 light years just to get across the cul-de-sac of our galaxy. Our galaxy! And we don't even know how many more galaxies are out there. Hundreds. It takes 52,000 light years of travel to get across the cul-de-sac of our galaxy. That's not even a galaxy from one end to the other. That's just across our, our little part of it. And yet he loves us so much and he is such a great God that he even cares about the molecules that holds our joints and our tissue and our muscle together. What an amazing God we have. This is the God that the Levites are praising and worshiping at the beginning of this prayer in Nehemiah chapter 9. Verse 6 again, Thou thou alone art the Lord. Thou hast made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You've given life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. He alone is God. Let's pray. Father, we're just scratching Nehemiah 9. We're just beginning to get into it. But I can't think of a better note to end on than to know that you are Lord. You are the God of the universe. Father, you are the one that we worship. Father, we pray that you would bring to our spiritual eyes our sin so that we might confess it to you and be free from under the guilt of that sin that we might know you, that we might have sweet fellowship with you, Father. And that we might praise you. Just in closing, Father, again, I want to bring before you the kids in Myanmar that are suffering at the hands of that military coup that's gone on there. Father, protect the children. Watch over and keep them. Keep grace safe. Father, we commit this week to you and pray that when we come back next week, we will be different than we are today. 
We will be just a little bit more like you because of the time we spent with you this week. We give it to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed.